Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning, my friends out there in Blog Talk Radio land. I'm going to start banging on these guests. I'm waiting on my guests to dial in this morning. Hopefully she is dialing in very, very, very soon. Um, but I want to say good morning to all of you, and I say that jokingly. I know today's guest, but uh, I'm finding that people dial in late more or not at all. But uh wanna wanna welcome you all here to Off the Shelf this morning. We have over about 10 years now been bringing you some awesome awesome guests, which today is another awesome guest. She's coming in from out of Ohio. And uh, as I always tell you guys, it's of course the uh, Saturday, November the 9th. This is I was going to say the first Saturday in November of 2013, but it's actually the second Saturday. We had the first start off with November the 2nd, which was last Sunday. So this is our second Saturday, and I want to begin by saying good morning, good morning, good morning to you. I hope you starting your Saturday off just, just fabulously. And I'm thinking myself about going to see that movie, 12 Years a Slave. It looks so good. And the, the I can't remember the name of the lead actor but in the movie, but I've seen him in other um, projects. And I love his work and his talent and his dedication. So I'm thinking about seeing that. Not sure what you guys have on your agenda for today, but I hope you – and I'm going grocery shopping and maybe get another coat because it's starting to get cold out. Um, I hope whatever you have on your list of things to do that you enjoy yourself and you let yourself experience love and joy and peace today. It is certainly an absolute joy to have you, you specifically. I wish I could see and talk to all of you in person. It is such a joy to have you here with us. And for those who, who it's your first time tuning in, I always like to introduce myself because I've listened to radio shows, hear blog talk, and other places, and I've wondered, who is that? doing the interview and who is the host so i want to let you know i'm your host as i always say denise turney and i'm coming to you live and this is actually live from philadelphia pennsylvania and i thank you thank you thank you for your support and i encourage you go out today please and get a copy of love pour over me and if you if you like mystery and friendships if you value relationships and you like to see how people grow and develop because with this story you have to stick with it to see how the characters organically, naturally evolve and develop and and understand and change. It's not a quick fix thing. Just like in our lives, it's generally not a quick fix. Sometimes people try to do something in the story to improve or to evolve or to awaken, and they fail, and they do it again, and they fail, and you get frustrated and you want to give up on them. But if you stick with it and you see the end, you'll go, wow. So I encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. You can get a copy any bookstore, uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, uh, iTunes, you you name it, on or offline, Walmart. If you don't see it, just ask the clerk for it, and they can order it for you because it's carried by, I mean, the largest book distributors in the world. So you can you can get a copy. Or Long Walk Up is a, is a short inspirational book. Love Pour Over Me is about 280 pages, so it's thicker. But Portia, uh, about a woman overcoming breast cancer, uh, and then Spiral, which is a murder mystery set in New York City. Those are books that I've written. You can you can get them anywhere, on or offline. So I encourage you to get a copy. Love Pour Over Me is my latest book. I think you really, 
I, I say this sincerely. I think you'll learn maybe even a lot about yourself and your own relationships as you see these characters evolve and you get so deep into the story. And I would, of course, love it for you to visit my website, which is chistel.com, C-H-I-S-T-E-L-L.com, and you can learn more about me and my writing and my background. And I'm going to check again and see our guest has joined us. I see the area code. Valerie! Valerie, Valerie, Valerie! (laughs) I said I saw that Matthew 7. I know she has joined us. I was just (laughs) introducing the show, and I know our listeners are excited because you have done so much in your uh, pre-writing career and now in your writing career. So I just want to introduce you and get right in there. I know I won't be able to cover everything, but I really want to enrich our our listeners and uh, tell our listeners, go tell everybody you know to get on to – off the shelf now because we have a we really have a fabulous guest and who I'm going to introduce to you. She is uh, she just supports and promotes other writers and I know years ago she supported uh, like musicians and other Christian artists. In addition to writing and publishing her her own books, I mean she's just a phenomenal woman. She's the founder of Pen of the Writer and she organizes the, uh, a book expo. In my hometown of Dayton, she is also the author, and that's in Ohio, she is also the author of the book Self-Publishing Made Easy, the books, I should say, The Forbidden Secrets of the Goodie Box, and her works have appeared in anthologies like Tainted Mirror, The Midnight Clear, and Blended Families. She's online at penoftherwriter.com, it's spelled just the way it sounds, P-E-N-O-F-T-H-E-W. R-I-T-E-R.com, pinoftherwriter.com. You can go over there now, check out her website, and learn more about her conferences and things she's doing and her books, even as you listen to her share just such valuable advice and her experiences, which you could relate to and maybe be encouraged or gain some guidance or advice for your own life from. And this phenomenal woman is Valerie Coleman. Welcome, 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 Valerie. Denise, thank you so much for that wonderful introduction and for having me on your show on this beautiful fall morning. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it gorgeous out? The sun is mm-hmm. just coming through my office window. It, it is the sun rays is such a treat. I want to just start right in. There's so much you have done and so much for our listeners they can t- take away to use in their own lives. Um, I wanted to ask you first: How was this past October's pen to paper literary symposium? It was phenomenal. This year marked my 10th year of hosting the conference, and um, I made a few changes in how I had it structured. I added a Friday night to really delve into writing. What I'm finding, Denise, is that some people are, you know, they're in different phases of the process of publishing, but a lot of people just can't even get the story out of their heads and hearts onto paper. So Mm. I spent Friday night really delving into concepts behind, you know, what the purpose is of your writing. Like I tell my clients, you always start with the end in mind. What's your objective? Are you trying to sell books? Are you trying to give them away to family? Are you trying to make money? You know, you, why are you doing this? Who's your audience? How are you going to reach them? We go through all of that. And then I did maybe five or six writing exercises, which really helps to release the creativity. You know, so I gave them ways to overcome writer's block, and then we actually went through writer's exercises. And when I tell you they were into that writing. They were just on, on just going. I was like, okay, wow. I can stop. No, I'm not ready to stop. 
And then uh, Saturday I had, uh, then Saturday we delved a little bit more into the business side of writing, which got into, you know, an editor and contracting with an editor. We talked about cover design, how do you publish your book. And then uh, Tanita Johnson from um, Detroit and Sylvia Hubbard both came down from Detroit as speakers. Tanita spoke on the editing process, you know, how do you find a quality editor, the different types of editors. A lot of people don't realize as new writers, there's different levels of editing. And then Sylvia Hubbard talked about, she's a real, she's a real, I don't want to call her a nerd, but she's a techie person. So she's all into Twitter and social media, but more specifically she talked about QR codes and how you can make your e-books available all over the world. And she really got into the e-book and the, and the, uh, the cyber side of things. So it was a phenomenal workshop. The people less empowered, I've already, uh, the conference included uh, half an hour consultation with me, so I've had consultations with quite a few of them, and you know they're launching their careers, and so it, it's really, it's really, it was an exciting event. I, I'm, I'm tickled. I'm pleased at how well it went. Wow, that and and I, I wonder if you are one of the few uh, in Ohio. I would just imagine that you are, because I remember growing up, I didn't hear a lot. I know in Youngstown they have a lot of arts events, but mm-hmm. in the Dayton area. I mean, it's just a blessing that, um, and I commend you for doing what you do because I wonder if you are just one of the few, uh, especially from a, from the area, who still are hosting uh, those those writing events. I want to ask you, um, which came first for you, Valerie, writing books? And I know you're. I want to cover your your life even before then for our listeners to get a little backstory on you. But which came first? hosting the literary events, which you've been doing now. How many years is it? Uh, the pen to paper this past uh, October was our 10th year. Wow. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Well, what came first for me was the conferences, actually. I started out helping uh, Vanessa Miller, who is now uh, Essence bestseller, author in Christian fiction genre. She now writes for three publishing companies. So I started out helping her. And in helping her, I realized that not only was the case for Vanessa, but a lot of people who had approached Vanessa, you know, authors are right brain, so they think about the creative side, they think about the writing and the flowery words, you know, and all that stuff. But when it came down to the business side of things, there was there's a significant um, deficit. So, you know, I'm an engineer by vocation, so I was able to transition my engineering skills to the book business. As a result, mm-hmm. I saved Vanessa tens of thousands of dollars, and I, so I started out, I'm like, okay, these people don't understand the business of writing, so I should have a conference because I love to teach. So okay. I held the first conference, yeah, as a result of helping Vanessa, I held the first conference um, in 2004, and I've had speakers like Victoria Christopher Murray, um, Dan Pointer has been there, Vicki Stringer has been a speaker, Lynette Calfani-Cox, um, who is, you know, a New York Times bestseller, Terry Ebony Satin-Brown. I was bringing in big-name people to come into Dayton and empower aspiring writers, you know, about the book business. So... That's how it started, working with Vanessa. And then from there, I've just transitioned into continuing the process because even while I'm out and about selling my books and going to trade shows, you know, just seeing what other authors are doing, I see that a lot of people have uh, missed some critical aspects of the self-publishing business. And as a result, it can affect sales. It can affect the um, appearance of the self-publishing industry as a whole. And then it, it can put a tainted uh, perspective or skew for other people who may not want to touch a book because it is self-published. So yeah, like you know, the book cover, 
Yeah, or not having a high ISBN. Yeah. Right, or overpricing the book. Well, I paid $20 for the book. I got to charge 25 and the book should be selling for $12.95. Well, nobody's going to buy the book. Libraries aren't going to carry it. Bookstores aren't going to carry it. So I've made it like my, my passion, my purpose to really help authors or aspiring authors understand the business side of things so that they can make the book for a, a great, you know, low cost, but still put out a quality product that they're proud to promote and that they can afford to offer a discount to libraries and distributors. You would think that by now, though, that not even by now, I researched the market and I read the damn point of self-publishing. You would mm-hmm. think in the book, in your book, you would think that people would read up and research because I've heard of, of writers who get ripped off as well. Mm-hmm. I've heard writers, oh, some of the stories are awful, mm-hmm. just awful, mm-hmm. and I, oh, it's just heart heartbreaking to hear somebody give their whole life savings to something that you know that they get they got ripped off. It's just I have it's a client who spent fifteen thousand dollars, fifteen thousand dollars, and she got a hundred copies of her book. Ooh, that's a hundred fifty dollars a book at her cost. Those stories are just gut wrenching, and that's but they're more common than than not. That's where you people say you know do what you love and the money will follow. It's not enough just to do that stuff and just have a dream. You got like you said the business side of it. You've got to you hear it in the music industry. You have mm-hmm. to do your research. And be up on things. Can you give? That's it. Can you give our listeners? You have that business background. Just a little bit of your background prior to entering the literary arena. Well, prior to entering the literary arena, I went to one of the um, elite um, engineering schools in the nation. When I went, it was General Motors Institute. It's now called Kettering University in Flint, Michigan, and graduated with honors with a um, BS in industrial engineering. And then I went and got an MBA from the University of Dayton, which is also an elite school. So I've got the business background. I served 26 years uh, working for GM slash Delphi Automotive Systems as a senior engineer. And it was my job to um, find the excess, trim back the fat in the business so that we can be more cost effective. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it was my job to do it better, faster, quicker, easier, smarter, for less money, but still put out a quality product and put it out on time. So that's been my training for, you know, for since I was out of high school. But even prior to that, it's kind of like always been in me. My mom said, you know, years ago, she said when I was like two or three years old, I used to put puzzle pieces together, intricate puzzles that, you know, they weren't the easiest mm-hmm. things, but I would put them together because I was always trying to figure out what's the best way to do this. Uh... You know, how can I how can I fix this? I teach math now at two colleges, and like I tell my students, Math Jeez, is universal. Oh my God! I know, right? Oh my <laughs> you know, what I'm I love, I love math. I love. It's the process of problem solving. You know, what, what's given to me? What's in front? What information have they, have I been given? What information do I need? And how do I need to get there? It's very methodical in nature. So I've transitioned all of that to the book business to save people thousands and tens of thousands of dollars because. My passion is really to help people do better because I honestly mm-hmm. believe that if you, if you know better, you should do better. And what you were saying before is a lot of people, they don't research because, again, they're right brain. They're just excited about being in print. Somebody told me I yeah. should write a book, I'm going to write a book, and I don't stop to think about how much should, what's a fair price to pay. Because if you go on and Google self-publishing or, or how do I write a book or how do I publish a book, the shady, shifty folks, who charge millions of dollars, who make millions of dollars overcharging people, they're going to pop up first. 
They've got mm-hmm. the most money to spend, you know, to make sure their SEO counts and everything or whatever all that stuff mm-hmm. is, to make sure they come up at the top of the ranking. And we, as creatures of habit, we're going to maybe scroll through the first two pages. Yeah. We might research those first few, but then we're done. But those are the ones who are charging astronomical fees to do things you can do yourself for free. I know people, like I said, the one lady paid $15,000 for 100 copies of her book. I know okay. another lady who paid 12000 for 500 copies. Well, that's a little uh, better, but it's still astronomical. Yeah, you know, it I'm is. like, if you got that kind of money, I could have, I could have printed you 10, 15, 20,000 books. <laughs> and we still would have yeah. made money and you would have made money. Yeah. Wow. But, you know, yeah. they don't oh, understand the business. Yeah, it's, it's, it's horrendous. And so that's, that's been my passion, really. Is I've always been wanting to help and encourage people, and, and I've always been one who's been very analytical, and, and, you know, I process information a little differently than especially women. So I have to, um, you know, and I use that skill set, which has always been in me, to help people better their lives in whatever capacity. It just happens to be the book business. Can you tell us, and my goodness, I've, how many guests have I interviewed? And I look at my own life, and people tell me, "Where do you get the energy?" Because mm-hmm. I do a lot myself, and sometimes you don't even realize. When you said you're teaching math, I'm like, "Oh my god, got <laughs> the time to do that?" Oh my goodness! Mm-hmm. I, I meet people who do just so many things. It's amazing. When it comes to writing conferences, just to jump back a little bit, when it comes to writing mm-hmm. conferences for our listeners, especially new writers. They, you know, like every conference you hear, you think, i got to go to that conference. Mm-hmm. Whether people go to just a few or they go to a lot of them, mm-hmm. can you give us three top things that writers going to conferences can do to make sure they get the most out of their time and their mm-hmm. money of going to mm-hmm. a conference? Well, I think one thing that's very important is if you're going to a conference, first of all, you need to make sure that you're going to the right conference. So, like, if there's a new conference that pops up and you're not familiar with it or you don't know about it, get out on Facebook or Twitter and start asking people, hey, I'm interested in going to such and such a conference. Can I get some feedback? You know, has anyone been there? Can you tell me what it's about? Uh, You know, because then then you'll get a general idea of, you know, if it's something that's going to benefit you. Uh, the mm-hmm. other thing is, do they have a website? Because if you're going to a conference and they don't have a website, that to me is a red flag. Yeah, no, I agree. I need to be able to see who are the speakers. I want to check out the speakers. I want to see what the content is, you know, what's going to be going on. Um, and are the uh, specifically the synopsis of the session, are they going to pertain to what I need? You know, you don't want to be a fiction writer and you're going to this conference that's really geared towards nonfiction writers. Not that mm-hmm. you can't learn something. But if you're going to learn about, you know, studying the scene and character development and plot and tension and all that, you'll miss that at this nonfiction conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and most importantly, what, you know, when I tell my readers or my, my um, attendees is come prepared to learn because you can get on information overload. There's so much there. So get a good yeah. night's rest the night before. Come with your notebook and pen in hand even though most conferences will provide that type of information for you. You know, it's always good to have that as extra. And be prepared to learn. Participate. You know, when I have my conferences, it's not just me lecturing. I'm pulling people in and asking them questions and asking them to share. Okay, we just did this writing exercise. Who wants to share? You know, get involved in it. Don't just sit back and be the fly on the wall and observe, but become participatory. You know, we all learn differently. Some learn by seeing, some learn by hearing, some learn by doing. I try to incorporate all of that 
into my workshop so that I'm touching onto each aspect of how a person learns. But see, I think that's so important. When you go to a writer's conference, I, I can't say that enough. You have to participate. Don't just sit back and 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 wait for other people to ask all the questions and the the speaker to, to hopefully say everything. Don't be scared to ask questions and get involved. I, I think that's very important. Yeah, and even come with a list of questions before you get there. Because mm-hmm. the other thing I like to do is before I get started, you know, I have an itinerary that I'm going to follow. But I will ask them, is there anything in particular that's burning in you that you really want to know at this conference? Because if I'm not if it's not part of the itinerary, I will try to fit it in, you know, because I really want to make sure that they're getting out of it what they want. Mm-hmm. And, so probably and the question. Y- yes. Mm-hmm. You obviously, and you've been doing this 10 years, so you're mm-hmm. continuing to learn yourself and know this is what to offer next year and this is what to offer uh, going forward. Just quickly, I want to ask two more questions before we start talking about self-publishing made easy. Mm-hmm. If somebody wanted to put on a conference themselves, I had a friend, Dolores Thornton, who did one in Indianapolis, and I think it was one of the first ones that was there, if not the first. She said a lot of work goes into those. Um, mm-hmm. What advice would you give to somebody if they're listening and they're saying, you know what, I want to start my own conference? What advice, if you had to give them key steps, Some, mm-hmm. so, what advice would you give them and some things, some pitfalls to look out for? Well, Advice, what I, what I found, because a lot of people, after they left my my conferences, they've gone and embarked upon conferences themselves and sometimes invited me to be a speaker. And some of them were very well executed and some not so much. Because I think what people tend to fail to realize is when it's done well, it looks like it's easy. Yes. Putting on a conference, like you said, is not easy. Um, mm-hmm. But I think what I, what, I, what I try to, when I'm coaching people through that process, is they need to understand you have to accommodate not just the uh, people who are coming. So you have multiple audiences you're trying to make sure that you accommodate. One, of course, mm-hmm. is the attendees. One is your speakers. A lot of people forget about the speakers. They, you know, they want the speakers to be there, but either they don't want to pay them, they don't provide them lunch, they don't give them information mm-hmm. about where to go, what time they need to be there, you know, enter this door, parking, is it? You know, they don't give you any type of information like that. But you also have to consider the fact that you have sponsors that you need to uh, Consider, you know, if you're looking to do sponsors, you know, to help you offset your costs and all that other stuff. And if you have vendors, you know, so you've got those four audiences of people whom each one has may have, a, they have different needs, you know, and different expectations, and they need to all be accommodated effectively. Mm-hmm. So what happens is somebody may focus just on getting people to come, getting people to come, getting people to come, but then they don't think about um, the speakers. So the speakers get there and they're all upset. I've been to conferences where the speakers left. Wow. And so now I'm supposed to do one session. I end up doing three because two or three of the speakers are like, I'm not doing this. Oh. But I was ready. I'm like, sit down. I'm ready. Let's do it. You know. <laughs> or, well, one, now the other thing, Denise, that I've seen happen more, most often than not is people, if they're having like a book fair, which is quote-unquote can be a conference depending upon if you're having um, sessions for writers and stuff like like we do at the Dayton Book Expo. Next mm-hmm. year's year five, and we're working, we're hoping to get Rashawn to take Billingsley and uh, Victoria Christopher Murray as our featured authors. That's that's the hope. Okay. Uh, we have William Frederick Cooper, so we're hoping to have all three of them who are all Essence best-selling authors as our featured um, featured guests for next year. That site is DaytonBookExpo.com. But okay. if you're having an event, what I found in the past is people you don't have a hard time drawing in the authors if you're having a book fair. Getting the authors to come if your price is reasonable and you're at a, you know got a decent date and a good city, 
getting the office to come is not a problem. The problem is once the authors get there, you might have 20, 30, 40, 50, 70 authors, and 20 people come through. Yeah. They forget to bring the, 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 the audience. You know, they forget to bring right. the people there that the authors are going, you know, to support the authors, and so the authors don't come back. I know there was yeah. one here in hell recently, um, a few months ago, where there was like 40, 50 authors, and, and one of the people who went told me there was, she said, like, 10 people came through. Oh. Yeah, and it gets old, and they paid $100 a table. It gets old authors saying, you know, author, someone to author. So then most of the yeah. authors, they want to trade books. I'm not trading books. Mm-mm. I spent $100 yeah. plus my gas and time. We're not trading. No, yeah. Oh, boy. That, so, no, that's not good. No, Ugh. I've been to events where one gentleman, he flew. It was an event held in uh, Detroit. It wasn't a conference, but it was a book fair held, like, at uh, a mall. And he had he flew in from... It might have been Philadelphia, North Carolina. He flew in from North Carolina. He brought a guest with him because he thought it was going to be, you know, so busy. So he had two airfare tickets, hotel room, Ooh. rental car. The booth fee for the event was, well, I don't know, three, $400, and oh. he sold five books. Oh. And it wasn't for his lack of trying because this dude was out in front of his table. He was working it like I tell my clients to work it. There just wasn't yeah. any traffic, and there wasn't enough interest there. Wow. So yeah, that's a conference, me. yeah. You gotta recognize who your audience is, and 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 how are you going to get them? How are you going to market to them? They don't want you know nobody wants to spend money on marketing, but you want everybody to come. That's true, and 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 unless you have a ton of contacts at radio stations and television and in print and digital media, you probably are going to have to spend some money. You have to have to. Yeah, they get out there and get that work. Yeah. You can't I just mean, assume that you know a lot of people enough. and they're going to – you got to really, really be, make sure you can pull in at least, I, I, I'm going to say five, ten thousand. 10,000. You got to pull oh, in yeah. a lot I mean, of you people. Gotta, you got to put the time in. Yeah. yeah. Now, if the Daybook Expo, we usually have about five to 600 people come through. Not in the thousands yet, but we're working on it. But what mm-hmm. tends to happen is every year, you know, every year we're growing, we're, we're, we're expanding, we're getting a, a larger audience of – People coming out. People are coming now from throughout Ohio and even Kentucky and Michigan to come as as readers because they're learning mm-hmm. about it and we're drawing in a good crowd of authors, you know. And and we have so many other amenities that we offer. We offer activities for kids. We have the spoken word component. We have writing sessions for writers, you know. We're giving away things, so we have incentives to draw people in, and we also have incentives, you know, for the authors. We give away crystal plaques. They get corporate marketing. Our authors have walked away with newspaper articles, TV interviews, radio interviews, you know, as a result of being at our expo because we put the time in. We want to make sure that we're taking care of as many of the people who are there as possible. So we're looking at all mm-hmm. of our audience and all of their needs. It's a lot of work. It is. It is. And you're doing a phenomenal job, and I cannot commend you enough to, to you. the, the, pen, the, the, with the pen, the paper literature, more for authors in the Dayton Book Expo, of course, more for readers, mm-hmm. but just – just two, and I think you're doing a phenomenal job. One last question, so our our listeners can see that you have the background, your 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 business engineering background. You know your conferences that one that focuses on writers, and the other more toward readers. You have that, and now you, I want to talk this briefly before we talk about your book that you are qualified and you know what you're talking about when I, before we talk about self-publishing made easy. When did you start publishing imprints? I was surprised when I was researching um, for the interview. I said, you have imprints now? 
Yeah, I've got two imprints, which they both started in 2007. Pit of the Writer is the umbrella under which all my books are published, my books are published. And then what I did was, as I was publishing my books, you know, I love to teach, so I'm teaching people how to do theirs, and they're like, this is too much work. I love all this information. I don't have the time, the energy, or the resources to delve into this. What would you charge me to do what you're saying that I can do myself? I'm like, oh, okay, well, there's an opportunity. And so I launched Queen V Publishing, V as in Valerie. Queen V Publishing okay. started in 2007 to, to provide the book production for people who didn't want to do it themselves. And as a result, now through Queen V, I've published about 25, almost 30 books through Queen V Publishing. Oh, my about goodness. Three or four now. I'm like, yeah, three or four I'm working on now. And um, so that was the imprint. And I didn't want to put that under Pen of the Writer because when people see Pen of the Writer, I need them to know that that's my book. So right. Queen V is when I publish books for other people. The other imprint, which I also started in 2007, was Passionate Pens, and that's passionatepens.com, because teach again, and I was teaching high school students and inmates about the book business. And as a result of teaching them about the book business, they were like, okay, well, now that you've taught us, we want to be in a book. Well, that wasn't the plan, but I'm like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> I wasn't thinking that far ahead, but okay, that's what you want. And so, you know, they keep throwing loops at me. And so I wanted to separate that from Queen V because this group of people is different. The high school students and the inmates, that you know, they didn't have money to pay me to publish, so I use that as like a uh, – it's my, it would be my nonprofit if I had a nonprofit arm, where I use that money to maybe develop a scholarship program, or I'm using it now. I've published uh, three or four books through there, where now I go into high school and I teach the students. You know, I do like a little workshop for the students, working with their creative writing teacher. They submit stories, and then, then I publish a book for the school. The school pays me, but the pricing is is so low that then the book turns around and sells the school sells the books and makes a profit. So it becomes a fundraiser for the school. I did that for my alma mater. Forty students were, you know, now high school students are now published authors, and they're using them on their college applications, their scholarship forms, and mm. several of them have decided they wanted to be the launch a writing career. And on the inmate side of it, the book I published for them was Tainted Mirror, an anthology, and I actually went into the prisons, and several of the inmates who are now, you know, out, has launched publishing companies, published books. Wow. You know, I wanted to teach them something where they could be productive in society using, the obviously, the street savvy that they have to mm-hmm. apply it to a more legitimate job and be productive and, you know, change some lives and then make, you know, make, make better choices for themselves. So that was Oh, the my goodness. Um, a woman, and to our <laughs> listeners, she's actually a mom and married as well. I, mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. You, you, you think, where do... You find the time. I, I, I've interviewed so many guests that I've just they leave me with my mouth swinging open. And for <laughs> and for uh, magazines, I've interviewed people that when they tell you their schedule, it's like, jeez, do you sleep? And they do, but it's they just the schedule. Their life is so full now. To self publishing made easy for people who are like, you know what, I want to publish a book, or I want to know if I miss some steps when I publish my first books. How can this book Self-Publishing Made Easy by Valerie Coleman. Help me. Can you tell us about some of the topics that you cover in Self-Publishing Made Easy? Sure. Actually, what it is right now, Denise, is a journal series. I have two different journals complete, and I'm working on the third one. The first one is Self-Publishing Made Easy, Passionate Writing, and it really delves into the basics of writing. Um, 
whether it's fiction or nonfiction, there are some standard things that you need to consider when you're writing the book. And again, in that book, I really delve into, first of all, having a power team. And I call it power because pen of the writer, the letters and pen of the writer spell out power. So you should have a power team, you know, a group of people who can, you know, encourage you, but they're also not just going to say yes because they love you and they care about you, but this team of people is going to be brutally honest because, this book business is a, you know, it's a competitive business. So you want to put mm-hmm. out a So you need a team of people around you who, who, you know, include a couple avid readers, maybe somebody who's expert in marketing, somebody who's expert in business, and then just, you know, just a general person just to kind of give you feedback on the cover, the title, you know, and do some readings for you to make sure, you know, you've, you've considered everything. But so that book delves into the basics of getting started with writing, what's your message, who's your audience, overcoming writer's block, and then I'd break into some of the top um, mistakes that new writers make when it comes to writing, which apply to whether fiction or not. Then I delve into more nonfiction-related uh, character sketch, you know, how do you develop the character, setting the scene, the plot. Um, so that book focuses more on the writing aspect. And then okay. the self-publishing made easy, purposeful publishing book, that one delves into it's not a book, it's a journal, really digs into how do you you publish your book, how do you, from start to finish, create your publishing company because, you know, being an author is a business, so you're an authorpreneur. How do you start your publishing company? You know, where do you go to get a legitimate ISBN? Where do I go to get the real EAN, you know, and, and then I dig into what are the necessary components for a cover and where can you go to get a quality cover designed and not spend $1,000 for a cover that looks like $150. Mm-hmm. You know, um, typesetting, it, it delves into typesetting. I get into um, then doing a competitive analysis. It's very important to know, and all this goes back to my business and engineering background, what the competition is doing. You know, mm-hmm. you just can't just arbitrarily charge $25 for your book because you spent $20 to create it. You have to figure out how do I get my book priced low enough that I can sell it within the industry um, price range, which is maybe twelve ninety five. Well, I can't, yes. I can't, I can't print my book for fifteen if everybody else is selling this for twelve ninety five. So right. I step you in this book. I step you through how to do that, and it's a journal. So it's set up with I give you some information, then I give you an activity, and you if you do read, um, read the information and go complete the activity step by step as the book progresses from start to finish. When you get done, you'll have a quality book in your hands that has all the components that you need for national distribution. It'll be typeset and ready to go. You know, it'll, it tells you how to find reputable editors, you know, what to avoid, the types of printers to avoid. It has everything in there you need to launch a publishing company and then have that book in your hand. And then the last book, which I'm working on, will be promotions and marketing and, you know, how do you find great interviewers like Denise Turney and Off the Shelf. You know, where do you find those type of people who can help leverage your book and get you out there so that more people are aware of who you are, what you do, and how to find you. I was going to ask you how much you covered marketing. I think the the um, the, the the first two books, you know, how to actually you, you take it from A to Z, how to get started with the writing, the cover, uh, getting your 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 uh, your ISBN. Those are very very important because because without an ISBN and um, uh, uh, I forget the name of the other one. It's not on the top of my head. The yeah, library, yeah. library. Oh, uh, uh, the, without those, I mean, libraries can't order and uh, bookstores. It's just very hard for them to without those numbers. So to put a lot of money in a book and not have those, 
it's not good. And then you want your copyright to right. Yeah, and they are they're not they don't cost that much. So, right. But you do want you want those because um, then it could really really impact how your book sales if you don't have have them. But marketing is where you're going to put so much time mm-hmm. and energy and to know good ways to market, whether you have a blog, which social media sites work best for you because you don't approach them all the same. Uh, Twitter is more men, I think, are on Twitter. More women, I think, are on Facebook. And the, the just the messaging is different on the social media sites. And in press releases, do you want to you do you want to set up with a company where you can pay an annual fee and you can do as many press releases as you want to do? Because some people recommend at least one a week. And then and then how do you even manage your time when you're doing all this stuff? Right. Plus you have a family and you maybe going to college or you you maybe have a part-time job. How do you manage even your time? I don't think I've seen a book that says to an entrepreneur, which that's what you would become, how do you manage it all? How do you manage it all so nothing gets out of balance or out of whack? You're putting too much time into this and not enough into that. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? That's That's what I'm finding even as you get further along could become a challenge. But but mm-hmm. I think the topics that you're covering from A to Z could help somebody become successful. And you've done it. You've done it. And you've not only marketed yourself for the marketing piece, writers, but the other artists that years ago, for some reason, some guy named Christopher is sticking in my head. But I know you, mm-hmm. used, to, you used to market singers, other, mm-hmm. other, other types of entertainers as well. So you have that experience. All this said, Valerie, i got to ask you, when you think about, Years ago, self-publishing was, it was really frowned upon. I mean, it was bookstores, book reviewers, they wouldn't touch you. They wouldn't come nowhere near you if they knew you were self-published. I mean, it was like all bets off. Get away, get away. It's like you had the plague and nobody wanted to deal with it. Now people respect because of some self-publishers who've gone on to do very well. They respect it, but like you said, you still want to put out a quality work. All that right. said, all that said, do you think that self, the self-publishing field, it's like the articles on the internet. There's so many of them. Do you think that that field is too over? Is it overcrowded now? Do you think, which it's making it harder, authors to earn a living, uh, writing and publishing their own books, and not only self-published authors. Even authors who go through traditional, the traditional publishing route, the, it is that the highway is so crowded. What impact do you think that's having on the industry? Well, but you know, I think that happens in everything that comes new. It's, it's the product life cycle. You know, um, before we were what a beta. Well, beta died out. Then VHS came, and that now when VHS got overcrowded, then it went to CDs and you know. I think what happens is, whether you're traditionally published or self-published, you have to understand what the new thing is and what's coming along. Well, right now it's e-books and digital downloads and audio books. So nothing mm-hmm. wrong, like like hardback. I still have authors talking about my printing to hardbacks. Why? Why are you doing hardbacks? We're getting away from paperback. You know, yeah. you have to stay in front of the curve. If if we're going mm-hmm. away from hardbacks, are just about Dylan, unless you're doing like a children's book, I get that, you know, for small yep. children, you should do a hardback, you know. Or if you're doing mm-hmm. an encyclopedia or something, you're doing a thesis and they require a hardback, I get that. But beyond that, it's paperback and then e-books now, like I said, is moving to audio books. So if you're not mm-hmm. staying ahead of the curve, 
then it will seem like there's a bunch of noise. I met with a branding expert, and his website is heard above the noise. So what you have to do is you have to make sure that you're heard above the noise. It doesn't matter if there's a bazillion authors out there because of the bazillion authors, there's still going to be a 10% or 5% who stand up above everyone else, and that's because right. they put the money, the time, the investment into marketing. They know who their audience is. They know how to reach their audience. You know, so it doesn't matter even if you're self-published or traditionally published. You've got mm-hmm. to put in the work because the average no, self-published author, yeah, the average self-published author only sells 75 books, and I think a large wow. portion of that has to do with the fact that they don't, they spend way too much for their book, so they, you know, they can't get anybody to pay $25 for their book. And mm-hmm. then the other aspect of it is they don't realize how much effort it takes into marketing. Mm-hmm. So you really got to put the time in, and like you said, Denise, um, writing is 10 percent. Publishing is about 30%, and then marketing will consume 60% of your resources. Time, energy, effort, money goes into marketing. Yes. So and you've, got to, you've got to have a plan. And just just going on social media sites and putting on every site five, ten times a day about your book, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, buy my book. I promise you it's going to change your life. That is not going to cut it. That... No. That, or going that, to my that. page. I got people to go to my page. I have 5,000 friends. So they go to my page and post their book. I don't know you. We have no relationship. As soon as I see it, I'm deleting <laughs> it. You don't get to do that. There's etiquette. That's like yeah. you walking in my house and decide you're going to sit down and start and, and tell me to bring you some food. We don't work like that. <laughs> there needs to be relationship even in social media. But people don't get it. Buy my book. Buy yeah. my book. And post some stuff and tag me. I'm like, what in the world? I will delete in a minute and unfriend you because there's no etiquette in that. Ask, yeah. If you ask my permission, I need to see what your book is about because if it, if it, I, everything I do is inspirational. So if you're putting on Shake That Booty, Work That Thing on my website or my Facebook page, I'm deleting you and I'm deleting you as a yeah. friend. <laughs> you don't but I do think that, that no more. And, and that's where you can see where sometimes you think, is it is it too much because there's so many people doing that. But then, then when, you, when you get to the press releases and the television and the radio interviews, you can see that the crowd starts to thin out significantly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it, it's the type of marketing that you do. Definitely social media, it's, it's just too much. It's just too much. I feel like, oh, my God, every time I go onto a site, somebody I see at least 10 I think it's every writer on every single Facebook group. Every group. Page every Facebook in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they all on every single one. But it, it can't feel that way. So, But, yeah, when you start doing more, getting out in front, you'll see that the crowd starts to thin considerably right. because you'll see what right. people, they're doing stuff that doesn't cost any money, and they think it's effective, and it's really sometimes just annoying. And uh, I don't not. think people sometimes, they don't realize that. Um I want to talk about your first novel as well. Oh, before mm-hmm. I move on, when is the book, self, the Self-Publishing Made Easy Marketing Book, for our off-the-shelf listeners, when is that coming out? Oh, Lord, Denise, you just had to put me on the spot, didn't you? <laughs> how, about we say, how about we say next year? Okay, next year, okay. <laughs> and leave okay. it at that. That could be December 31st, 2014, because actually right. I'm working on the sequel to the Goodie Box book, and, and I've, you know, like you said, when you're out and about, you see people. So when I'm out at these events, you know, I travel all over the place. Well, when I go back, if I see the same people, they're like, is book two out? Is book two out? Is book two out? Is book two out? Oh, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Because people so, want a new book, know, like, almost every six months yeah. now. 
Well, yeah, and so especially gonna... if they love the first book, they want you know mm-hmm. if you if you write well, you get this fan base, you get this, you get these followers. I mean, Facebook friends are great and cool, but you literally have people who are fans of yours. So if they're your fans, they you know they'll go out, they'll be an advocate for you and your book. They're telling other people about what you do. You know, they're they're buying books for their friends and cousins, and my sister needs this book. And then they're asking me, I'll get an email. Where's that? Where's book two? You know, or getting testimonials, girl. That first book changed my life. I need to book number two. You know, so it kind of put it puts it puts a pressure on that I will never do another sequel ever again in my life. Every book I have is going to finish. It's going to be done when it when it when you get to the last page. It's the end. It's the end. I've had I've literally had people say not not, not you know they were they were joking, but they were like death threats. If you don't get book number two out, I'm coming to get you. Oh Lord. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness! I I, I want to ask you this this for our off the shelf listeners who don't, this is the first time they may be hearing about the forbidden secrets of the goodie box. Can you tell us when you started writing the first one, and mm-hmm. give a little background on the on the book without giving the whole book away? Well, I started writing it in like December two thousand nine. And in four months, I had the book finished. So I released it at the Dayton Book Expo 2010. And let me give you the website for that, thegoodyboxbook.com. And goody is spelled G-O-O-D-Y, thegoodyboxbook.com. And what I did, Denise, was I surveyed lots of men to find out why they do the things they do in relationships. You know, I was midlife-ish, well, still midlife-ish at that time. And even though I was married, and um, now 20, almost 20 years, a lot of our girlfriends were single or going through these issues with men, and, you know, I don't understand what's going on and why can't I find a good guy and all men are dogs and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, wait a minute. First of all, logic tells me that all men are not dogs because I've raised two wonderful boys, and I know they're not dogs, so mm-hmm. all of them can't be dogs. And then mm-hmm. I've got this husband who isn't a dog, you know, so I'm like, okay. So I started surveying men and finding out why they do the things they do to women in relationships. And, and outside of us allowing them to do those things, they really shared a lot of great information with me. And, and they were brutally honest. You know, there was no hidden agenda here. You know, we're not trying to get anything started. You know, I'm not about to mail bash you. you get, you're not, there's no reward and no incentive, so just be brutally honest. And they really shared some deep things with me, and I learned a lot about men, and I learned a lot about women in the process. And so instead of writing another how-to nonfiction book, I wanted it to be fiction. I wanted women to experience the process of relationships and the brokenheartedness and the excitement and the giddiness and the silliness we get when we meet this new guy. But I also wanted them to really learn and understand the dynamics of relationships. So there's no other fiction out there that really deals with relationships on this level where you have a lot of relevant nonfiction, real researched information, but in a fictional form. So they're calling it the black sex in the city, but there's not a lot of sex in the city. The characters are humorous, you know, they're, they're get along, they're funny, they're well-developed, as Mother Love from the Mother Love show said. They're very well-developed. She loves the characters because she has the rights to the movie. But I keep it real when it comes to relationships. And what was important for me was that the book be clean. So even though these characters um, are having sex, it's nothing, you know, um, graphic or erotic in nature. They go into the mm-hmm. room, they come out, everybody's happy, you know. So as a result, I have had children as young as 12 years old read the book, and I know women as o- over 70 who have read the book. So it applies to a wide audience of people. What okay. surprised me the most, though, was that men are buying the book. I really expected, I wrote the book for women to help us better understand men. 
But I'm mm-hmm. finding that a lot of men are buying the book, and when they buy it, they're buying it for one of three reasons. One, they want to see what I'm talking about, if I know what I'm talking about. And so far, nobody's ever came back and said, girl, you way off on that. <laughs> Two, I've had one guy, a couple guys tell me, well, I'm buying the book because I want to find out what the secrets are that you're giving up so that I can use them against women. I said, see, you're a predator. That's dirty. And then three, the reason why most men are buying the book is because they are now fathers or they have significant women uh, in their lives who they want to empower with the message. Yes. Okay. So it, okay. it's been a wonderful ride. I do workshops now out of it, uh, Why He Left You for Her and for Younger Girls. Mm. I go into the YWCA and Girls Inc. I love myself too much to give you my goodie. So I've got a whole goodie box movement going on, you know, that, that is really empowering. Again, because I'm back to teaching. I love to teach. So it all goes back for me as a teacher and uh, getting to, out there and really touching lives. If you had to say what were the major one to two key conflicts, because when it comes to men and women, there's so many different things that you could cover, mm-hmm. communication, the, the mm-hmm. sexual intimacy, you, the, raising children. There's just so many different things dealing with extended family that you could cover. What what one to two key conflicts did you, did you put the characters in, one or two that they keep finding themselves dealing with? Well, I think the biggest conflict for the character, Deborah, her philosophy on men was if men love sex and I give men sex, the men will love me. So she processed, you know, so she came up with this, and I think a lot of women have that concept. Well, I mm-hmm. can spin around and do somersaults, and she can't do that, so that's going to win his heart. That doesn't win his heart. You might make him happy for a little mm-hmm. while, but that's, that's, that's short-lived. So the biggest conflict that Deborah, the, the main character in the book, had to come to realize was that women and men process attraction differently. So for women, you know, if he says the right things and does the right things and make us feel, we're all about feeling, makes us mm-hmm. feel a certain way, and my heart gets involved, now I'm ready to give him all of me, which is my goodie. Whereas mm-hmm. men process differently. Men are, you know, they're visually stimulated. So if he likes what he sees, then it goes immediately to, well, let's say for lack of a better term, his goodie. And okay, his heart yeah. engages last. So what tends to happen is we as women, when we, we really love this man and we're really ready to give him our all, he is not engaged. His heart is not engaged. So for him, it's strictly sexual and nothing else. So he's going to say and do what he needs to do to get to the goodie, but his heart is never engaged, and then you wonder why he doesn't call. You can see yeah. how with somebody else, and he's not phased by seeing you, but you, you know, your mouth is dry and your stomach is irking, and, and, you know, you just can't seem to live, and he's a moved on like nothing ever happened. That's because we never waited for his heart to get involved. He never uh, loved yeah. you. He never felt that for you. And then, you know, so we have to understand that as women and then respond differently, not to manipulate men, but to manage our emotions. Yeah, yeah. And and I've heard other people say the same thing, you know, whether it's a nonfiction book or that, that, yeah, we we, we just process, not just at the beginning of the relationship, period, the way we process and show appreciation to each other. Uh, it's, it's so different, which can cause issues if we don't understand how the mm-hmm. other person communicates their appreciation or something. You, can you give us a little bit, of, uh, put a little detail around Deborah and tell us what she's like and what is the male main character like in The Forbidden Secrets of the Goodie Box? Well, Deborah is a lawyer, so she's a professional. You know, she's cute. She's a little petite, little something. She's got it all together. You know, on the outside, she has this appearance of having this wonderful life. She's got it. She just mm-hmm. bought this new home in a lavish um, community. She's got a Mercedes. You know, she has all the stuff. But she still feels incomplete. She still feels um, 
non-invalidated or unvalidated because she doesn't have that significant male in her life. And so she's spending her efforts outside of trying to move up the corporate ladder trying to connect with this man. You know, her biological clock is ticking. She's 35. She's ready to be married. Mm -hmm. She's ready to start having kids, but she's working Mm -hmm. out of emotion and making a bunch of mistakes. Okay. And then, you know, so she has, you know, she has this collective of girlfriends who help her try to process through, but at the end of the day, our girlfriends can only tell us as much as they know about relationships, which is awesome. Exactly. Right. So if you want to know about men, you go to, you know, you go to men. Um, the significant male in the book, there are several men who play pivotal roles. Um, Rachel, who is one of Deborah's friends, her husband Brian, even though he doesn't have a large role, his role helps to define Rachel as the person she is and the challenges she's going through as the married woman in the group. Rachel is a entrepreneur. She started her business. She's doing quite well. And her husband has been a yes man throughout her marriage. Well, mm. when you've got this, you know, you've got this independent black woman. She does a yes man, even though it sounds like, yeah, we all want a yes man. No, we don't. We want no. someone who's going to be a, not a take charge as an abusive but take charge and handle situations. And, and, you know, I want to be able to take off this corporate hat when I come home and let my man do whatever he needs to do to be the man of the house. Right. So there's a significant uh, dynamic that goes on in that marriage relationship. It's just I have, you know, I have several critical characters who are doing the dang thing and making this whole book come to life. Um, You know, I've got a couple colleges who have asked about, would you be willing to do it as a stage production and let our students be the actors? You know, there's just a lot of things going on with the book and the, the message behind it. Actually, the audio book should be coming out soon once I, uh, as you say, make time, all these things I'm doing, make time <laughs> to get that out there. Mm. So what, I do have what, an original theme song. Okay. What mm-hmm. What is going to happen? Don't give it away, but is Deborah going to – Did she she find, and I don't want to get the story away. I'm trying to think part two, how you're taking it. You said you're working on part two. Yeah, well, I mean, I can drop a few little nuggets in here. Um, Okay. Let's see. For example, um, Sherry, who was um, in a good place relationship-wise and had met her, Dwight is how I, you know, paraphrase, use his uh, name. I actually ended up playing Sherry in the audio book. I was not planning on being any of the actors, because we actually have professional actors who are doing a lot, but one actor wasn't available, so I ended up doing Sherry. So whenever she says Dwight, she says, Dwight. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, my intent, even with that, is to, uh, with Sherry and Dwight, they are going to be, you know, in the process of um, getting engaged. So with that okay. dynamic, my intent is really to delve into preparation for marriage. You know, a lot of us want to be married, have no idea what it takes to be married, what marriage consists of. Then we get in it and we have divorces. Um, in the African-American community and the Christian community, the divorce rate is up to 75%, 80%. And, that, a lot of that, and in yes, a Christian, you wouldn't think it would be that high. Well, but it is what? high. It, it is, is high. high and, I, and I think a lot of it has to do with because I'm a Christian, we should be able to pray our way through this. Jesus yes. is going to make it all right. And not yes. to say that he won't, but the problem is he also says faith without works is dead. So what are you doing while while you waiting on that angel? Because the angel got held up. Daniel's angel got held up when he was in the lion's den. I don't know why you don't think your angel can't get held up while you're going through your marital issues. So what are you going to do while that angel's held up to come with your answer? You have to have mm. practical skills. 
You have to know how to communicate. You have to know fair fighting rules. You have to know the dynamics of family. What is God's expectation of marriage? So I'm really going to delve into preparation for marriage because I think if a lot of people really understood what it took to be married, a lot of them wouldn't be so quick to jump into marriage. We get into these marriages, we marry the wrong person, we marry for the wrong reason, we don't understand our roles, and then we fall apart. It's cute in the beginning because mm. everybody takes each other around the house butt naked. That gets old. <laughs> that gets old real quick. Don't touch me, don't look at me, don't ask me nothing. Now what are we going to do? Yeah. Am I telling the truth? I'm telling the truth. Yes, you are. <laughs> You're telling the truth. Oh, my goodness. So you go. So you're gonna you're gonna take it there, and I'm sure there's yeah. gonna be some happy where we see some oh, people yeah. really get it. They get it together. Yeah, well, Sherry and Sherry and Dwight are really gonna get it together, but the okay. challenge for them is going to be that Dwight has a child, and because Dwight has a child, Sherry's gonna deal with step family issues that she is not prepared uh. to deal with. So not only are we trying to learn each other as husband and wife, but now we have this child who is in the mix, which means mama's there and grandma, you know, and everybody else that comes along with another baby. So that's going to be that whole dynamic there because, you know, more likely than not, most of us are, uh, are a lot of, especially in the African-American community, are in step families, whether we realize it or not. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to delve yeah, into that issue. Yeah, it, it, especially with people get, having second and third and set mm-hmm. of marriages. Second and third that, marriages that, that. or single with children, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you we we we, we have a little less than three minutes, but I definitely want our listeners to know where they can get copies of your books. And if you're doing any upcoming interviews, public appearances, book signings, can you let us know where you're going to be in the coming days? Yes, my um, website for the Goodie Box is thegoodieboxbook.com, and for the self-publishing made easy, that's pen p e n of the writer dot com. And as far as appearances, let's see, November the 16th, I'm at a holiday fair in Dayton, Ohio. Um, and I'm trying to think. And November the, no, December the 4th, there's a holiday fair at Central State University, Dayton campus. I teach there, and then I also, there's a holiday fair there. I'm going to be participating in that. December 7th at my church, we're having a holiday bazaar, and I'll be participating at that. And then later on in the month of December, I may be in Dallas, Texas, um, and if that's wow. the case, I'm going to yeah contact the bookshop and try to do something there, or uh, a couple other bookstores and connect with them um, to try to you know have a signing schedule while I'm there. So I'm just kind of all over the place, but if they go to the website penoftherwriter.com or thegoodieboxbook.com, I try to keep try to keep my calendars updated because I'm the webmaster too. That's a hot mess. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness gracious! Oh my god! Oh jeez! I'm gonna leave that alone. Oh my god! I want to tell the show listeners we are so honored, and especially with her schedule, and so many of our guests. Oh my god! Her schedules are so tight. For her. we were really, really honored and appreciate Valerie being here with us on Off the Shelf. For those looking to publish a, a, a publish their own book. I recommend her her series, Self Publishing Made Easy. She's working on the marketing part of that, and she's also working on the uh, Forbidden Secrets of the uh, the Goodie Box. I hope I said that right. She's working mm-hmm. on the uh, a, a, a sequel to that 
uh, so, but the the self publishing manual, she, she's saying maybe December. It could be sometime in next year, and maybe as late as December of next year. She's also written um, anthologies. Her works in Painted Mirror, The Midnight Clear, and Blended Families. She's at Pen of the Writer, and she gave you the goodie box URL. You can get copies of her books there. She's going to be in Ohio, Central State. She's maybe also be headed toward Texas. Uh, later this year, so just look out for her. Go to her website, and you can keep up with her schedule and have get an autographed copy of one of her books. Or you could attend the Dayton, Ohio Expo or the uh, um, the literary symposium that she does for writers. We just really thank Valerie. She is just a dynamic woman, a woman on the go. She writes, she promotes, she she does marketing, she teaches. I just it's just amazing and phenomenal. So we want to thank her and we want to thank each of our off the shelf listeners for being here with us. Please come back next Saturday, eleven o'clock in the morning, New York City time or Eastern Standard Time. Tell your family, your friend, your colleagues, book lovers, everywhere to tune in to off the shelf Saturdays at eleven o'clock. And as I always say, you are truly amazing. You are incredible. You are fabulous. Go out and create a wonderful day for yourself. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you, Valerie. And Valerie, I'll shoot you an email. Bye for now. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Bye bye. <laughs>